Welcome to the System.ca, the art and science of coaching, providing innovative information on speed, power, recovery, wellness, strength, and conditioning for both athletes and active individuals. Pay attention to anymore. So they get yeah, it falls apart for the rest of the day. And if you right. take good school districts, that means that every school does the exact same thing. What they do is they have their curriculum where they start maybe with uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, and then maybe art. So right. kids come in in the morning and they all start reading from kindergarten all the way to high school. If you change that routine and all of a sudden in eighth grade, you know, let's say that you do art first and all of those things, the kids are going to be a little bit um, off uh, they, they're caught off guard and they need to start all over again. But once you're in the routine, you're all set. So let's take, for example, math. How do we teach math around the world? Well, typically you learn how to count first. All Remember? right. So you do addition, yep. subtraction, multiplication, mm -hmm. and division. That's right. What would happen if you started with division first? Ooh, that would be uh, a little <laughs> trickier. Okay, so if you take a look at anything that we do in life, the whole thing is a routine. If you go to work, as an example, and all of a sudden they have a construction zone, what happens to your day? <laughs> well, either you uh, have time to listen to a podcast like this, <laughs> or you basically get pretty frustrated. <laughs> exactly, and this is what happens to players. If we don't have them in a routine, and if we don't teach them in a sequence, I think that they're always going to be confused or you need to restart again. Yeah. So in my curriculum, I make it really simple. If you do math, we already said that you add, subtract, multiply, and divide, right? Right. All right. In soccer, we have players who are attackers. And they right. need to be able to read the game, run in attack, receive the ball, retain the ball, and release the ball. Those are your techniques. Okay, now people go, well, six-year-olds can't read the game. Do you think it's possible for a six-year-old or any player at any level to play with their eyes closed? Sure. Okay, so you think you can be on a soccer field, close your eyes, and start playing the game? As long as people are bubble-wrapped, we can do it. <laughs> with eyes closed. Yeah, with the ice clip. Yeah, you get those big soccer balls now. You can actually go in there. I think they, I, I forgot what they call it now, but it's a special type of soccer they call it. Okay, what are the odds of you with your eyes closed seeing the ball? Pretty hard. Pretty hard. Well, how about the goals? Uh, oh, even harder. How about oppos opposing players? Yeah, much harder. How about teammates? Even more, even harder too. Okay, so do you have to teach the kids, and we're talking six-year-olds and we're talking 16-year-olds, the first thing they have to do is be able to see what's going on around them. So the six-year-old, they're going to keep their eyes open and check out where the ball is. They're going to check out where opponents are, and they're going to try to kick the ball, correct? Correct. Okay, so they're reading the game, and eventually they'll read it at a higher level if they are taught correctly. That's very true. It's funny, funny you, you say this. So just to kind of go over again, uh, and I'm going to add a little bit to that. 
the nine steps for our listeners is the start, the warm up, one plus one, one versus one, and then you have a break, and then you have a game. Small sided games. Small sided game, and then you have a scrimmage, right? Then you have a cool down, and then you have a, a recap. Is that correct? And then you end the practice, correct? Right. And so it's funny. I when I work with my clients, um, I classify conditioning into four phases, and I try to move people from one phase to the next phase. And sometimes this idea of doing things over and over again. And I picked this up from um, a coach. Uh, I can't remember the name, but he. He said that skill lags behind fitness by several, you know, several weeks to months, and depending how complex the skill is. So sometimes you need to keep reiterating that skill until basically you see some perfection and give simple cues and just work with one cue at a time. Don't try to multitask, give too many cues because and prioritize. This is where it comes to good coaching, and and you you would know this a lot because. In order for, you know, to teach, uh, you know, soccer literacy, just like you talked about, you have to start off with something, you progress from one thing to the next thing. And then eventually they start to put together this framework. And from there, you can, it's much easier to, to work with them as opposed to, you know, you give them a whole bunch of rules and they're trying to figure out half the time, what is that rule? Meanwhile, they're not playing. Right. Right. So, so continue with, uh, you know, you, 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 you have this start and your start basically is, um, is this something like, a, a, like a explaining what you're going to do that day? Uh, you know, is that sort of like a little uh, get together, guys, the kids get around kind of thing? You tell them, OK, this is what we're going to do or how does that work? OK, starting the practice is what you're doing is you're starting with uh, disciplining. Okay. And starting the practice starts with the parents because the kids need to show up at a specific time. Right. The coach is there. The coach greets the kids. The coach gives them some kind of, it checks their homework. And we can talk about that maybe later on. The coach checks their homework. And then he has to have an official beginning to the practice. Right. And by official is you have to have some kind of a routine that tells the children that now I am going to be the coach rather than your dad or a friend or all the other things I am. I'm now the coach and you are now going to be the player, which means that you have to follow the practice session rules. It's just like in school. Right. You've got the children in recess and the teacher becomes part of the environment and he may even play with the kids. But once the kids walk into the classroom, right, the bell rings and now you have to change from right. a child to a student and from the playground individual to the teacher. It's the same with coaches. They have to start the practice on time. They have to now explain to the players what you're going to work on. Okay, and the reason for it is the child or the player needs to know what the coach is going to focus on. And to me, it's very important in the fundamental soccer approach is the coach also has to realize what he's not going to comment on. So let's say, for example, that we're going to work on the third part of our practice here. We said, you know, read the game, run to attack, and receive the ball. Okay, so the first touch might be my theme for that particular practice session. And now the coach has to make sure that what he or she doesn't do 
is when a player makes a mistake, they don't make any comments on it. Mm. In other words, the only time that they would make a comment or give some kind of assistance is when that child has a problem with the first touch. Okay, because right. children need to learn through making mistakes. And if we, uh, you know, uh, stop them every time they make a mistake, there's no way that the kids would ever play. Because in our game, we don't have total control of the ball. It's constantly bouncing off of us. And we have an opponent that's also in the way. And so, you know, for let me give you a quick example. Could you raise your right arm? Yep. Okay, go ahead, put it down. Raise it again. All right, uh, not that high. Try to raise it again. Uh, no, put it down first. Okay, raise it again. Uh, a little bit more to the left. Okay, put it down. Okay, raise it again. No, I want it a little bit more to the right. <laughs> okay, how do you feel about this particular sequence that we just went I, through? I am very confused. <laughs> okay, how do you feel about me as a coach? Uh, I don't... <laughs> I don't know what if you even know what I want. What you're trying to do? Okay. Did <laughs> you make? Any, did you I'm, make any mistakes? Um, I don't know if I made a mistake. Well, did you raise your arm? Uh, yeah. I don't think I did. I did. I did that correctly for sure. Yeah. Okay. So here I am. You're confused, and sometimes players get upset with the coach because every time that they make a move, they make a comment. Right. So in right. other words, allow the players to make mistakes in all the other techniques, but not on the first touch in this particular practice. Right. So again, you're focusing on one aspect of the game, the one aspect of, uh, of, of uh, receiving the ball, the touch, the first touch, you know, chopping the ball sort of thing, controlling exactly. it. And then from there, however, they decide what they want to do. It's up to them. They kind of figure that out and they, they know that they need to kind of realize that through the, you know, the error in one sense of what they may or good. If they did something good, they'll realize it, too. So it works out both ways. But, um, yeah, it's very much um, we had talked about this last time where I think I told you there's a national film board picture of two. It's a split screen and one is a very organized baseball. Uh, you know, the kids, same age kids are like, you know, wearing as if they just came out playing for MLB and the other kids are just a bunch of kids with t-shirts and shorts and shoe running shoes. And they got, they just dumped their bat, their gloves in the pile. And uh, basically they, they just divvy up the gloves and whoever owns that glove goes. So one side was completely stocked. The other side was, you know, losing. Uh, but in the end, the side that uh, won was the side that, um, you know, ended up, they ended up saying, well, last run wins. Well, guess who scored the last run? The, the losing team. So it, it worked out okay. But you can see the kids, the next day they came back and they played the same game. The next, whereas with the organized sports, oh, my God, it was the parents and the kids and crying and, oh, geez, it was a real nightmare. And I think this is where, you know, um, you know one of the reasons why I, I like talking to you is because I, I see this, uh, you know, directly, indirectly, uh, you're trying to coach kids as adults and not realizing that it takes years to develop uh, 
you know, not only the skill, but the intelligence uh, and the acumen for the sport. And, the, and it, it, you know, you got to, and they're not always developing at the same, same line. And, and they're not always developing on the same line with every kid. Some kids are slow. You know, some skills are a little bit more challenging for kids, but they pick it up eventually. Uh, and so if you, if you discount any sort of um, uh, improper skill as a child, you may lose a potential, I don't know, uh, Lionel Messi or uh, Ronald, Ronaldinho or, you know, just because they weren't encouraged properly. And I think, you know, that's why I like this idea of fundamental soccer. It's like a great name, first of all. Secondly, it's, it's really coming back to the essence of play, which um, I think we talked about this a while back with my prop, Joe Levy, and the theories of play. Uh, I think that's what's really missing. And uh, so once you've got this, uh, you know, you started, you, you did the start, you did this uh, orientation, right? The warm up, what, you know. Well, uh, before, before I, we sure, go to the sure. warm up, I think this okay. is very important is the sure. child or the player needs to see a demonstration of the technique that you're going to teach. Good idea. So you, what you have to do is you have to do a verbal explanation and a physical demonstration of the technique. So in this case, if it was the uh, first touch, the coach should, if they can, make the demonstration do it. But my preference is if you have one of the players who can do it, that would be much better because the players can relate better to other players. Right. If none of your players can do it, then bring a younger player, a little bit older from another team maybe, who can right. do the demonstration for you. But right. what you don't want is a demonstration by the adult who does it poorly. Because the child's mind eye or the player's mind eye is going to catch that technique and they'll copy exactly what's demonstrated. Yes. So what you have to do is make sure that the demonstration and explanation are very clear and the players know what you're going to focus on. So then we go into the warm up. And in this case, let's say, for example, the warm up, uh, we go into the fundamental square. And to me, this is extremely important. You need to have all of the players with the ball and they're moving around this square inside the square, a large square for the younger kids because they need the space to make be able to make mistakes. You make the square smaller so that there's more pressure on the individual working on the technique. So, for example, if we're working on bringing the ball under control or the first touch and we're going to use the inside of the foot. Now what you would do is inside of the warm-up, almost every touch should be with the inside of the foot or that part of the foot that's going to control the ball on the first touch. So every touch that that player makes is going to be with the inside of the foot. Okay. Okay. The next thing is I try to have them lay out, and I know we went through this last time, but I have them lay out a figure eight Okay, so that we take the feeder together, we go to the right side, put down the cone, feeder together, we go to the left side, put down the cone, and now the player is going to go through that figure eight using the inside of the foot, which is going to be the first touch uh, control. They're going to be using the figure eight. Now, why do you think, and hopefully you remember from last time, why do you think I really insist on the figure eight? Um. Well, it gets, I guess they have to use uh, both sides of the foot, right? They have to kick it forward, but also 
you know, every turn, depending on what part of the eighth they're on, they got to use the inside foot, outside foot. Okay, in this case, it would always be inside of the foot because we're working on the first touch. Right. Okay, so they would have to, if they're smart, use the inside of both feet. In other words, we make sure that they don't use the dominant foot all the time. And uh, that's the younger children. Younger children will do it naturally. And after a little while, after years and years of doing the same routine, by the time they're 16, they won't know if they have a dominant foot or not. Hopefully, they're good with both feet. Right, right. Okay, and then the stretching is obvious, you know, ankles, knees, and all of that. And uh, so I call it the figure eight stretch routine because I want them to go through the figure eight all the time and then doing some kind of a stretching in between. Okay. Okay. okay so some... Yeah, now we go to the one plus one. Yes. Hopefully their body's ready to go. Okay. And we said that our technique that we're working on is to receive the ball. We're still on the first touch. So now it's the cooperative stage, one plus one. And let's, here is the next test. What does this sign stand for in addition? Addition, uh, plus sign, plus sign. Plus sign, plus sign. Players learn using stoppages. Or in math, what does it mean? What does plus mean? Uh, to add something, right? Okay. The coach is going to add information during this particular phase of the practice. Ah, okay. So in the one plus one, it's cooperation, and you need to teach the players this, that during this time, I'm going to stop you, and it means that it's, I'm going to improve you as a player. And we're going to go through the same routine we did last time. So now, when I call your name, right, all I'm going to say is Yusuf, and you're out on the field, and all I say is Yusuf, What's the first thing that comes to your mind? To basically get ready to see the ball. Well, I'm calling your name. Oh, to be attention. I'll be, to have so attention. What you gonna, so what are you going to do? I guess come close to the coach or, you know, or. No, no, no. You're out on the field and I'm on the side. You know, the coach isn't on the field. Oh. You're out on the field. And by the way, in order for me to reach you voice wise, what do I have to do? Megaphone. Yeah, a little bit louder, right? So instead yeah. of just saying Yosef, I go, Yosef, what's yes. your first reaction? To, to look at the coach. Why are you looking at me? Wait for instruction. Well, weren't you taught at home that when you hear your voice, especially when it's raised loud, what's your more, thought as a kid? Uh, more attention, focus. Uh, uh, watch out. Kid, you're, you're at home. <laughs> And your parents call your name out loud. What's your first response? Answer back. Yes. Hello. Uh, you know, yes, yeah. mom. Yeah. And what, why do you think you're doing it? Especially if mom raises her voice. Uh, to acknowledge that basically I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm, I have your attention. Really? Or your, mom, <laughs> yeah. your mom naturally just raises her voice to call out your name, right? Uh, if you're living with immigrant parents... <laughs> <laughs> they raise your voice all the time. <laughs> all the but, time? Uh, well, anyways, <laughs> cultural differences. <laughs> really? So your mom never your mom never said quietly, Yosef? She always goes, Yosef! Uh, pretty much, but yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. because I never paid attention. <laughs> that okay. was my fault. <laughs> well, so, in, the, but, in the normal household... 
if a parent calls the child's name out loud, usually the child's in trouble or they think they're in trouble. Yes, that's well, exactly. Yeah, that's but that was basically my scenario all the time. Yeah, because I was always doing something wrong. All right. <laughs> so now you're on the field. I'm trying to teach you something. And all I do is call out your name. What do you think you're thinking about? What did I do wrong? Okay, so do you think you're open for information to make you a better player? Uh, more than likely not. Okay, and so this is the way that we approach our players. We don't let them know that there is a time where I'm going to stop you from playing, but I'm going to stop you because I'm going to improve you. Hmm. Yes. Okay, so, so we're going to go through the same scenario again. When I say your name, all I want you to do is hit your chest twice and show me the peace sign and smile. Okay. You understand the instruction? Yep. Yes. Okay, so when I say Yosef, what are you going to do? Two times, peace sign and smile. Okay. How do you feel after you do that a few times? Oh, you feel good. You All right. Good. What, if we had, what if we had the rest of the team do it at the same time? We go, Yosef, and all of the players are going. Ah, oh, you feel like everybody's behind you. Okay. Do you think you might be open for instruction? Definitely. Definitely. Okay, so during this one plus one, all the players know that we're cooperating with each other. Players cooperate with each other. The players cooperate with the coach. And if the coach calls your name, it's, you know, some kind of a physical response that tells the coach that the child is ready to learn. Okay. All right. Any questions on the one plus one? We can no. go into more detail, but let's go on to, because we need to cover the nine steps. Sure. So from the teaching portion, we now go to the one VS one, VS right. one versus one. What right. does versus mean? One against one, basically doing one-on-one -on -one against uh, maybe offensive, defensive, or, uh, you know, that sort of thing with uh, okay. the ball. One person has the ball. One person doesn't have the ball, but one's the attacker. One's a, um, you know, defender. Okay. Which one's the attacker? Could be either one. Could be defender. Yes. That's, yes. Yes. So the player has to know how to play attack and defense. When they have right. the ball, everybody should be able to attack. When they don't have the ball, everybody should be able to defend. And we start learning that in the one versus one. Okay? Right. So it means competition, right? You and I are competing against each other to score goals. What does the VS stand for for the coach? One against one. But for the coach now, because the coach is walking around. Right. And he's observing the players. He just finished teaching them how to do the one touch or how to bring the ball under control. What is the coach going to be doing now in the one versus one? Making sure that they're able to do that in that scenario. OK. How does the coach do it? By observing and again, maybe giving a, uh, a slight tip. You know. OK. Here's the problem. If the coach is going to give a slight tip, let's say you and I are playing against each other and the coach gives you a slight tip, what do you have to do in order to get that tip? You, you've got to pay attention. To who? The coach. Okay, what am I going to do? Uh, you as the other play, player? or I'm the player you? with the ball and I'm trying to what? Uh, trying to get around that person. Sure. So while you're getting a tip, what am I going to do? Go around. 
Absolutely. I'm going to score a goal. Yeah. Would you be happy with the coach? No, because he basically he let, he let the guy go through. Okay, and this is what we do to the kids. We're constantly stopping the action. You did your talking. You did your stoppage during the cooperative one plus one. Right. Okay, now it's one versus one. What's the VS stand for? It stands for the coach is verbally silent. V, verbally S, silent. Mm, wow, Don't okay. Talking. Okay. Take notes of the mistakes that the child is making in this technique. In this case, we're looking at the touch of the inside of the foot again. And right. what we do is we say, looks like next practice, you know, Yosef needs to work on his first touch on the inside of the foot. Carl's doing well. Maybe he doesn't have to work on it that hard. Right, right. Okay. So now what's important in the one versus one, we have all of the players on the team play everybody on the team. So you've got, let's say you've got eight, eight players. There are four games going on at the same time. They play younger age group, maybe 30 second games, older age group, one minute games, no boundaries. One versus one, no boundaries. Ball gets into another field. What's, what do the players have to do if they run into another group? What do they have to do? They've got to try to avoid them. Obviously, this is which is very similar to play because you're <laughs> on the field with you know eleven other guys, and sometimes you you don't want you want to bump into them, so you try to avoid them. So it's a natural, I guess, avoidance uh, technique. Exactly. So the players are now teaching themselves how to avoid. How to avoid. They have to make decisions. The coach doesn't make the decisions, the players do. And they'll make mistakes. They might run into each other. They might do all these things, but the coach is not going to say anything because they're competing and the players are learning from their mistakes. Yeah. So, Which is, yeah. No, go ahead. I'm just going to say exactly what happens on the field in a game. I mean, people bump into each other. Like, you know, it's not always, especially. When they get close to, the, you know, when the uh, attacking side is on the defending side, and they're in the eight, they're in the box, you know, the eighteen. Uh, there's a lot of commotion happening in there, right? So they have to know how to. It's a good practice for them for that for, for, from that respect. Right, and with younger kids again, they're trying to learn basic skills, and one of them is the third one that we talked about. Remember, we said read the game, run to attack, and then receive the ball and retain the ball. In the one versus one, they have to be able to retain the ball, right. and your focus is still inside of the foot. You want them to pass it inside of the foot. You want them to uh, touch the ball with the inside of the foot. Everything should be with the inside of the foot for the one versus one game even. Right. Okay? And you I, know that they're going to touch it with the outside of the foot. They're going to touch it with their toes. You don't say anything right. because your focus is inside of the foot. So this is almost, uh, you know, from what, I can see right now if I could if I could give a little bit of a summation. Obviously, I've heard the whole the whole thing, but it's almost like the Mr. Miyagi method of soccer. You know, you have these kids cleaning your car, wax on, wax off. Pretty soon, like <laughs> they actually pick up the skill. They don't even realize they're doing it. <laughs> exactly, it has to eventually become natural, which is brilliant. Actually, that this is you know. I would just say that, you know, the most simplistic things in life are so complicated. And I think people make complicated, try to make it, you know, they try to make simple complicated, but actually, well, I just work on the simplicity for God's sakes. It's just like, 
you know, uh, I think, you know, I worked with a few coaches, top, some top guys and they, you know, they, they had all this, they, didn't, they had access to data and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, it's this idea of what's the most simplistic element I can give this person and just work it. And then, you know, the data is not, I'm not saying data is wrong. You know, uh, I don't like to, you know, uh, you know, the sports scientists, you know I, know, I know a lot of teams now using sports science to kind of calculate how many times a player touches the ball. But if they're, if they're not, um, you know, getting in position uh, to receive the ball or, you know, blocking a defender, they're not reading the play. And so, but these are skills that, you know, aside from, you know, touching the ball, they're, they're fundamental that, uh, you know, if you get if you get the kids to work on these fundamental things without having to formally introduce it to them, you're more apt. It's almost like I would say a hypnosis form of soccer, like you're subconsciously giving to them, but they don't realize you're giving it. It's amazing. Brilliant. Right. Yeah, it's the environment that you create and you make rules and regulations in that environment so that the child ends up focusing on what you're trying to teach. But what you don't do is you can't talk somebody into doing it correctly. Otherwise, we'd have perfect players around the world. Yes. Right. We can't talk them into it. It's up to the individual to learn those skills. And they learn it through making the mistakes first. And hopefully they're uh, passionate enough to go and practice to make sure they don't make that mistake again. Right. So, Carl, let me ask you something. How many players, um, you know, you've been obviously in the industry for a very long time. So how many players, you know, have benefited from, from your, they moved up the ranks and, you know, they look back and say, you know what, I, I thank God for Coach Carl. You know, that is an impossible, um, I couldn't guesstimate because what I try to do now is I try to reach the coaches and the coaches that try to reach the players. And quite frankly, I think it's very difficult for me to do that because the structure, and I don't know how it is in Canada, but here in the States, it's a coach-controlled environment. And, mm. you know, we even have, while the players are out on the field, we have coaches yelling from the sidelines, telling them what to do. Well, if, unless you have the correct angle, you know where the opponent is, you know where the teammates are, you can't give a good instruction. Right. You're in the middle of the game. So, you know, unless we have people that have the confidence to allow the players to play the game, and especially at a higher level, I don't know which ones I've reached. Because it's up to the individual again to learn those particular skills. Because, they, be, right. as you mentioned earlier, if they don't know how to read the game, if they don't know where to look and what to do if the ball happens to come to them or if they lose the ball, if they don't know what to do, it's not my teaching that taught them. It's their experiences that eventually will lead them to success. Right. Have you, have you, uh, so let me maybe reframe that quite, reframe that a bit. How many coaches you've worked with that obviously employ the system say, you know what, this is, wow, my kids are learning a lot better. And from that, I guess you can say, well, they don't obviously indirectly kind of attribute it to you, but you know, it's obviously the application of, of this wisdom that basically so how many coaches i'm gonna assume john is one of them up in toronto here <laughs> i've been up there and i've run coaching courses in toronto 
But okay. the number of coaches that I've reached is, let's call it worldwide. And the okay. reason is there isn't any coach in this planet that doesn't use this framework. Okay. Okay. All I've done is just simplified it. Yes. And I've made it so that a mom and dad coach can take this particular sequence and apply it because you need individuals that do it, do the skill. You have to do it with pairs. You have to do it in small groups and large groups and in, as a team. There's nobody on this planet that does it different, except what happens is a lot of people now are trying to copy professional training sessions that work on specific tactics. And they yes. try to do that with kids. Well, you can't, unless you've got perfect technique, you can't start working on tactics. Yeah. So when you take a look at a professional training session, they still work with individuals. They still will go to pairs. They'll still go to small group, a large group, and then the team. That's so true. In, true. the nine steps are, they're world-renowned. To me, right. I just use it to simplify it so that a mom and dad can actually apply it. Great. Right. Right. And it goes back to what I said earlier. If they would get used to the routine, which they don't do, because every time they come to a practice, everybody wants to introduce something new. They want to show their uh, their knowledge. Well, if the players aren't ready for that particular drill, what good is it? And if it doesn't relate from the practice session into the game, what good is it? So, so do you think there's a, uh, a flaw? Like, I, for example, uh, to, te to teach somebody, let's just say an Olympic lift, like a snatch, right, uh, a full snatch, there, there's so many other lifts that you need, you know, directly and indirectly before you even get to that level where I can teach you even with a, with an, with a broomstick, right? Let alone adding weight to that reality. So, but so, so, and so if, if that is the end result of, of, let's say a weight training session, right? Then there has to be a progression to slowly get there. So how many people do you think take the time and say, well, okay, what are the progressions to, uh, you know, first touch? Where's the progression? So let's say passing the ball uh, once, you know, breaking this down into like, you know, simple things. And half the stuff from what I can see here is almost like a, uh, a innate learned thing. Or basically, if you create the scenario, it will happen. Right. Over right. time. Right. Sure. Well, let's go back to math. When do you start going to subtraction? Oh man, you go. You're asking somebody's 54, man. <laughs> it's going back though. I would say maybe grade one, maybe I don't know. No, I'm not, no, but before they start subtraction, I don't mean what age group. Oh, oh, this oh, is yeah. one of the mistakes. Actually, this is one of the mistakes I think we all make. We go, yeah. at what age can a player do something? I don't know, because you might have a six-year-old who can do something that a 22-year-old can do, and I've got a 22-year-old who can't do what a six-year-old can do. Each individual has their own skill level. So my question again is, when do you go to subtraction? When the, when, is, when the kid is ready. When he's ready and he knows how to add. Yeah. yeah but what we do, and we do the same thing in sports. We go, okay, they're five years old. They should be able to add at six-year-old. Now let's go to subtraction. Well, if the kid doesn't know how to add, why do you go to subtraction? Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, if the child can't bring the ball under control, why do you work on dribbling? Or if they can't dribble the ball, why do you work on shooting? Let all those things happen naturally because if you're in playing the game, and by the way, soccer, what's in order to play soccer, what do you need equipment-wise? Well, you need a ball, fundamental. One, go, one ball, what else? 
Uh, you need a, a goal, some sort of goal, like a, whatever you make. How many, how many goals? How many goals do you need? Eighty-two, typically. Two. Okay, that's soccer. We have a goal to attack, a goal to defend, and a ball. How many practice sessions do you see where the people don't use two goals and a ball? They'll use the ball and no goals. It's not soccer. They're playing Simon Says, Sharks and Minnows. They're playing all these what I call soccer-related games instead of playing soccer. If the child doesn't get used to playing, if I've got the ball, as you said, attack, I don't have the ball, defend. As soon as I get the ball, attack. Well, that's our game. And if they don't play that continuously, repetitiously, and monotonously, they won't learn how to play soccer. So do you think, you know, and again, I haven't really seen that many soccer practices, but from what I can gather in watching hockey to a certain degree, there's not enough play time and there's too much skill time. And, and at the early ages. And then what happens is that, this, you know, a lot of kids just get bored because, okay, we keep doing, but we're not playing. We're not playing a game. And there's, I think there's a lot of I've, kids who are really dedicated to a sport will practice on their own half the time, I think. There you go. Right? I don't think they need the formal coaching. Oh, you can give them a little bit here and there. I don't say, no, don't, don't do that. But they, I think really what they want to do is play. Because when kids get together, what do they do? They don't practice. They play. That, that's just, I mean, going back from what I can, as a kid, I don't think we ever practiced touch and all that kind of stuff. We, just, we just played the game. And we, we learned as we played. And I think that's, you know, this is a fundamental sort of, uh, maybe it's the elephant in the room, I guess, that coaches don't understand that play is such a powerful thing. Uh, you know, uh, that I think most people fail to realize when you play, there are so many aspects of your brain that are opening up to receive new information. You're, it's almost like all that, you know, you know, uh, what we call semi-constructed hypnotism. You know, you power of suggestion here uh, mm -hmm. without having uh, to have, because as soon as you put the correction, like you said, as soon as you put the correction in there, you stop the play which means you stop the learning. Is exactly. that correct? Am Absolutely. I correct here? Yeah, I, brilliant. I 100%. And see, here, here's the next difficulty that American coaches have. They think that if the children are playing, they're not under their control. But if they're in a drill, especially if they're standing in line or if they're waiting their turn, that they're under control. Well, my question is, if the, play, if the players are playing, do I know what they're thinking? Okay, if they're playing, do I know what they're thinking? No. I do, because I'm a professional coach, and I'll tell you why. If that ball goes to the left side, what do I expect all the players on the field to be doing? Moving That's, a little bit to the left. If the ball goes in the forward direction, where do I expect all the players to move forward and backward and sideways? So if that ball is moving and the players are moving, I know that they're in the game. But yeah, as soon as they're standing still, especially standing in line, what do I know what they're thinking? <laughs> they're not playing. They're not but playing the game do anymore. I know what's do I know what's going through their mind? No. I've done this with adults, and in Alaska was probably the best one. I had the adults line up, and I said, tell me what this guy's thinking right now. 
And obviously <laughs> nobody could guess. So I asked him, what are you thinking? He says, you know, I like to take this clotted uh, grass and put it down his shorts. <laughs> How good of a soccer player do you think that guy's going to be? Uh, probably not very good. But yeah. you understand, we need to get these people to realize that if the players are playing, then you can tell what they're thinking. Now, if you've got a child and we tell them to just stand still in the middle of the field, they're lost. There's no way that we can tell if they're learning or not. But if they're moving with the game and our ball is the game, then you can understand if they're learning or not. So let me let me ask you a little question here. You you said this, you alluded to this earlier. You said, you know, this, this system here, you can, you can use it uh, from the from the kids all the way to professionals. Right. Yes. And how many so how many people sort of use this in that sense uh, at at the uh, and make make reference to this fundamentals? I mean, uh, is that something that, you know, uh, is, or is that basically all data driven? Is it basically is it all like, OK, yeah, just like I, I don't I don't quite understand from that top level. Yeah, it's all coach and player driven, isn't it? Because if the coach understands the level of his players, he'll adjust that flow chart according to their needs. Right. So if we're working on long passes, as an example, what he would do is in the warm-up, he would do a little bit more of maybe partner warm-ups where we're doing long passes. Eventually, they'll end up in a team, a small-sided game. Well, it's going to be a large field rather than a tight field. And then on the, when they're scrimmaging, you know, his rule is going to be anytime a ball is back passed, I want you to change uh, the um, point of attack. So we go from a back pass to a long pass to the opposite side. It depends on the level of the players, the skill level of the players, and what the coach is trying to get across. Hmm. Wow. So, so we did this going back here now, uh, pulling it back to... We did this one versus one, which is basically verbally silent. Right. And, and all and all the players, all the children or the players play against everybody on the team. So you rotate and keep score. Who played who? What was the score at the end of the time limit? Okay. okay. And the reason for playing everybody on the field is why do you think you want to play everybody on the team? Well, first of all, Everybody uh, is keep moving. Number one, number two is uh, everybody has different uh, uh, experiences with different players, like different uh, different realities. Exactly. Right. You want to play somebody that's weaker so you can work on the technique. You want to play against somebody who's equal to you to see if you can do it, and you want to play against somebody who's stronger in the technique because you may learn from them. Mm. Okay, so we play everybody on the team, and believe me, at the end of playing like nine minutes of one versus one, if you play it properly, then the kids are going to be tired. So you go into halftime. And the halftime routine, to me, has to be exactly like it is on Saturday, game day. So if you're going to have Gatorade, make sure you have it at practice. If you're going to give them, which I think is a very poor choice, but if you're going to give them oranges, make sure you have oranges at practice. And make the halftime in, in practice the same length as it would be on Saturday. Routine, routine, routine. Routine. Otherwise, especially with the little ones, if you don't routine them, they'll go run to their parents. And believe me, you'll have a tough time getting them back on the field. Right. 
Right. So okay. after the so after the break, we go we play uh, a, a full game. Then you play small sided games. Small sided games. All right. All right. So we play one against one all the time. That has to be that's your first half of practice, because if the individual doesn't have the technique down or the skill down or whatever you're working on, if they don't have it down, you can't do it against opposition or a larger number. So you start out one plus one, one versus one, take a break, and then you go into small-sided games. The small-sided games depend on, again, what you're, t what you're working on technique-wise and the skill level of the players. But more than likely, because we're working still on the first touch, more than likely you're going to be working on what's the next, what's the next largest number of games that you, you could play, small-sided games. What's the largest number? I mean the smallest number, sorry. Uh, four against four? How about two against not, nobody? Okay. Okay, so we've got two players. They're playing against nobody. Because why do I want to play two against nobody in this particular game? Because remember, we were working on the first touch. Passing. Okay, because we want these players to be successful passing the ball. So now you, what you would do is we use the two-touch rule. Two touches means the ball comes from player one to the second player. They have two touches to get it back to the first player. And as they're going down the field, they're passing the ball and they're getting that first touch in. But the first kind of game has to be cooperative. Okay, so what are the kids expecting? Yosef? Basically, you get a... Wait a second. Play what, did, what did I just teach you earlier? When I called your name, what do you have to do? Oh, we got it. There you are. Because I'm going to be working on what? Working on helping you with that first touch. Okay, and you look like a happy camper. So you're open and receptive to receive the information. Wow. Okay, so we start with two against nobody to make sure they're successful. Let's say I have two players that can do it really easily. I've got my two players against nobody. What do I do next? Probably uh, two against one. Yes, two against one. Now, do I want these guys still to be successful with their first touch? Yes. Yes, we're in cooperative. Remember, we're cooperating still. So what am I going to ask this one player, the defensive player, what am I going to ask him to do to make sure that these guys are successful? Wait till they complete the two touches and then he can... Don't take the ball away at any time. I might ask him just stand still. As they right. get better, I might ask them to walk. And eventually I might ask them to go at game speed. But you want the success of the first touch so that they'll repeat it over and over again. Okay, let's say I've got two players and they're successful against the one player. What's going to be my next game? Two against two. What are the odds of getting really good passes if we've got two players against two players? Pretty good now. Are they? Each one of them in a one against one game, how many passes will there be? Uh, I guess two, two at the touch at the, and then probably... One time. So now, now if I've got two players against two players, how successful are they going to be with that first touch? How many passes am I going to get in here? Uh, two touches, four. Are you sure? 
Well, we got, we've who's got, he gonna, uh, who's he going to pass it to? This one has the ball. He's being covered with this one. This one doesn't have the ball and he's covered by that one. Who's this one going to pass it to? Well, he's going to try to pass it to the player. He's try. His, his, a person's going to try to get open. See, try. We need success, remember? Okay. If you're going to be working on first touch or passing, you should never have even-sided games. Okay. You need a player open. You need a player open. So we play uneven-sided games if we're working on the first touch or if we're working on passing. Mm. Okay, always uneven. So if they're getting... Larger groups, you might have four against one, you might have four against two, you might have four against three. But if you're trying to work on first touch and passing, you'd never have a four against four game. In practice, cooperative. Make right. sense? Makes sense. Okay, very important because most coaches, they go, okay, let's play two on two, let's see how successful they are. How come they're not passing it and they're not receiving it very well? Well, the reason is because you've got everybody covered. They're playing one against one. <laughs> okay? Makes sense. All right. Now, if we're working on dribbling, maintaining possession, then you want to play even-sided games. But passing okay. at first touch, always uneven. After the cooperative, let's say I've got my two players against one, and they're doing fairly well. How do I know that they're, they've learned what we try to teach them in the warm-up, in the one plus one, one versus one? How do I know that they've learned? What do I have to play after the two plus one game? I gotta, you got to play probably like a, um, a, two, two plus two, a two on two, two, two versus two, or uh, three versus three versus two. Okay, you're, you're complicating it beyond belief. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. But this is what coaches do. As soon as I say they're successful in cooperative to play two against one, what's the next game? We always add another player or we add another player. You still want to make sure that they can play this game. So now we play the two versus one. Mm. From two plus one, we go to two versus one. Because here you've taught them how to do it. Now you're going to test them to see if they can do it. Success, okay? success, success. All the time. All the time. But now if they're competing, if this is a two versus one game, if they're competing, what does the coach do? Basically, the coaches, uh, if they're competing, the coaches... Uh, um, V.S. V.S. What is it? Watching to see how they're picking up the skills. And the coach is V and S. Verbally silent. Yes. Okay. Anytime the kids compete, and that includes Saturday games, if they're competing, the coach has to be verbally silent in our game. Okay. If they're constantly talking, the kids are taught at home. Look, stop, look, and listen, and all these other things that go along with it. It's more fun to be able to play without the coach talking or stopping us. Which is which is quite interesting because it's the, quite the opposite every game. <laughs> coach is yelling, coming out, you know, that's probably why they have that box outside the, you know, the bench. You, you can't go, what's that, the 10-yard? Uh, the you can't come outside that box? 
but you see some of the best coaches in the world. They, you know, they just, they may pace back and forth, but uh, they're very rarely yelling. I mean, they're just basically just watching. Mm-hmm. And when the player comes off, they give them a little pat and then they uh, let everything kind of cool down. And then uh, you, you know, they would, you know, kind of mosey over to the player and say, hey, listen, man. And they'd show them, you know, on a whiteboard, hey, this is what, you know, this is what the last play you did. You did, you know, again, focusing on the positives. And by the way, you know, what do you think, you know, what do you think you maybe goofed up or something? So basically what happens is that you're, it's, it's, you're, you're fostering a uh, learning environment. Which I yeah. think, you know, which the, which the fundamental, I mean, you sorry for the pun here, but it's, it's, um, it's what you're trying to do in the, in essence, is, is just foster a learning environment, period. And how you do it now, okay, there's, you know, the devil's in the details in one sense, but the, 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 the end goal always is how do you, so you run it by this big filter. Is this, is this going to be a learning experience? Or a a uh, a punishment experience, right? And and so when you run it from a learning experience, you're always fostering this play idea. Indirectly, you're you're slipping it in without them even knowing it. Brilliant, just brilliant. So let's go back to some brilliance here, because let's take the personality or the attitude of the coach. If you're working with children under tens and younger. The most important word is patience. Yes. Okay. If you don't have any patience, don't work with younger children because they're going to make a lot of mistakes. They won't be able to pay attention. A lot of things are going on, even if you're teaching them a routine. It's going to take time for them to learn. Between 10 and 14, you need persistence. Okay. It means that if the child loves to play the game, now you can do some of these boring things that we do and trying to get them to get those basic skills down so that eventually we can work on tactics. After 14, what you need is a psychiatrist. <laughs> okay, because if those kids go through all the punishment that we put them through and they still survive, then you know they're going to be some great ball players. So it's from patience to persistence, which means lots of repetition to eventually... You know, just make sure that they enjoy loving the game. Wow. Wow. And just a quick, quick side note here. How did you come up with this? Uh, lots of years of watching other people make mistakes. And myself making the mistakes. Mm. And at what point the light bulb hit? Say, so you know what? Like for me, uh, in, in what I do, it was about... 10 years ago, basically, I'm thinking, okay, there's something wrong here. There's something not working. If, if, if what they taught me, A plus B should equal C, but how come I'm not getting C all the time? So what point for you is like, okay, I've been taught a certain way, and I'm applying what they taught me, and why am I not getting this results? And what, 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 how many years ago was that? Was that, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> well, with me, it probably happened 40 years ago. Okay. okay. And what happened was I was constantly going overseas, Germany, Holland, England, all of those places. And I'm learning from all of the professionals how to teach the game. 
I'm teaching that information to American coaches, and most of them had never played the game to begin with, and I was talking over their head all the time. I finally realized that unless I put something down that they have to follow, it won't make any difference because I, I was just like every other coach. A new thing came up. I used it. It didn't work, so I tried something new. I finally figured out that what you need is really simple. You need to work with the individual with the ball. You need to work with pairs with the ball. You need to work with a small group in a ball, and you need to work with the team in the ball. And there's that little sequence, right? We went from step number two or three, one plus one, two players. We go to small sided games. We go to scrimmage. So gonna, once, gonna, I, yes. Go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. Continue. Sorry. No, I was just going to say I finally realized that what American coaches did is they would find, especially the fun games, Simon Chess, Sharks and Minnows and all of these, the kids were having a great time. But as you said earlier, how many of those kids on their own organized those games? Not a single one of them. They didn't do the drills. They didn't do the fun games. But if you go around the world and you watch kids, what do they play? They play soccer. They put down, you know, bicycles and beer cans. And all, sorry about the beer cans, but milk yeah. cans and all these other things. But they play soccer against each other. They don't play these silly games that don't run through drills. So my thinking is if we can create that environment through adult teaching or an adult teaching the child, then maybe they'll play it on their own. That's one of the big things, and we haven't discussed it, but I try to teach the coaches to teach the players to lay out their own environment. If the, if the coaches lay out the cones and do all that stuff, it's a waste of their time because the only time those kids will play is when they come to practice. And practice is maybe, what, an hour, an, an evening, and so maybe during the week, they'll get five hours of practice, but under control of an adult. Where around the world, when do the kids start playing soccer? Soon as they get up, they're playing at recess. They're playing because they know how to lay out their own environment. Yeah, they never, it's interesting you say that because kids will never lay out an entire soccer field. They'll lay out, you know, almost like a field within their perimeter, basically where they can have closer contact with the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I want to make another little point here. Um, you know, the, the, the younger, you know, I'm saying this now, but it's funny, when I was younger, uh, but I still kind of had this in, in me. I'd always look up to people above me. I, you know, and I think some of the younger coaches and the younger, uh, you know, they, they need to sometimes go to people um you have two types of uh, evidence. You have empirical and then you have subjective, right? And you to, to formulate an opinion, I think you need both. I, you know, you need qualitative and you need quantitative. And I think one of the, one of the things that I, I could be wrong, but I think some of the younger up-and-coming conditioning coaches or any sort of uh, professional person uh, fail to sort of understand is that this idea of mentorship and you need to like you went to Europe you went to parts of the world and you had mentors you had people that you looked up to and then you were able to distill that from that but you and these are not on a you know published in a scientific journal or anything like that you watched and you observed you made some observations and from that you were able to build a system and that system has um, 
it 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 has some weight to it because it brings back all this experience that you have. So you know, if I when I was a younger version of me, I had very very fortunate. I had two professors that were my mentors, and I would be able to run by whatever I learned in school or wherever I read it from. I would run it by them, and because they had real world experience, not only in the textbook. They were able to give me some insights that you wouldn't be able to get in a textbook. Mm-hmm. So I get the idea of uh, you know data and all that, but I think people also need to look up and go look look to older people who have been there and get some of their experience because I think this is where you picked up and from that you you created this beautiful system. But had you not sort of went and sought out mentors, you would not have possibly created this thing based on the current colloquial knowledge that you have right now in the United States. To make it really, you know, you you said it very well. A lot of the words I didn't understand because I need a dictionary. (laughs) But to simplify it. Thank you. You're very welcome. But to simplify it, one of the things that I learned was when I went to a coaching course, I saw everybody taking notes. And they wrote down all kinds of things. What they never did was to get to know the instructor. And what I did is I think the most important thing is you need to get to know every individual on your team as an individual, not as part of the group. And once you can reach that individual from there, it's just a matter of time that you can reach them and teach them. So in in a few words, get to know the humans. Again, it comes back to this qualitative aspect that quality trumps quantity. And when you when you have these, you know, and I'm maybe kind of taking shots of these data people, they there's a there's a person behind that number. And you can definitely quantify these things. However, there are a lot of intangibles that you can't you 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 know, you can't define, you know, you can't quantify infinity, put it that way. Quite simply. There, you need both. You, I'm not saying you don't. You want to take that information. The best coaches, in my opinion, the best. Like I, I use the data, I use ratios and stuff like that. But in the end, I'm looking at movement. I'm looking: is that movement being registered? Because if that movement is not registered, then you know the data doesn't really quite always tell you everything, right? It can't quite. And I think this is where you know. Uh, if I could give some advice to some younger coaches out there, find people like yourselves and, and talk to people. Become, like you said, become friends with them. Uh, and I think, you know, if I, I could be wrong, but I think people of, uh, you know, I'm going to say of our age or maybe your age, <laughs> you get to a certain point, I think, that where you want to share that knowledge. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd like to have... The way I look at it is if I reach and teach somebody and they pass it on to the players, I'll have 18 more individuals out there teaching that the kids need to have a childhood. Yes. So going back to now, after you had this break, they're going to play a game, one small side of games. And then you said there's also after that is a scrimmage. Yes. The scrimmage is to see everything that you've tried to teach during that particular session with the whole team. 
And to make it really brief is you have to have a cooperative scrimmage first. And my preference is try to play against somebody that's not part of your team. In other words, play a team that's strangers or a because on Saturday you're going to be facing strangers. But make it sure that you talk to the opposing coach and tell them that every once in a while you'd like to make a stoppage to get a point across. And the kids already know as soon as you call out somebody's name, all the players are going to stop. They're going to do their thing. And you get your message across. And then you have to finish first cooperative play. And then you finish with the competitive game. And that means you leave the kids alone and they have fun playing the game. And you write down notes of things that you need to do next practice because they didn't learn what you try to get across this one. Right. And you may change your theme. But occasionally you might, the next practice, still talk to one of the individuals about their first touch. But don't overdo it, you know. Don't go back to how high do you raise your hand because they'll make mistakes all the time. Again, younger ones, have patience. I think you hit kind of some some, some, some key points here. You said, you know, from, from, you know, let's say from little kids to, like, say, 10 years old or so, thereabouts, you know, it's patience. It's, and just learning one thing at a time. And then you said, you know, from 10 to 14, it's it's persistence. Can you keep doing that skill, practice that skill, right? Uh, and then finally you get into basically the psych, you, you call it psychiatry, <laughs> more of a mental game at that point. Where basically, I, you know, if, if, I can, if I can say you're looking at now systems, like how do you play attack systems, defensive systems, because they have those fundamental skills mastered. They understand the positional play, et cetera, et cetera. Now you're looking at team systems. Now it's, now it becomes like chess on, uh, chess on the, on the pitch. Right. But the chess moves are up to the individual, not the coach, because mm -hmm. all the moves in our game are not like chess. It depends on what the opponent does. So you may have the, most brilliant tactical formation and all the things that go along with it. But if the opponent all of a sudden does something different, you have to be able to have players that can make the adjustment at that moment. It's not, you know, a lot of people think, yeah, just put them out there four, four, three, and you know, all these other things. And then the thing falls apart and they can't figure out why. Well, it's because the basic skills weren't taught and they don't have the confidence to either work with or without the ball. Right. Right. So in this in the scrimmages, again, going back to, you know, versus verbally silent, the coach is making notes, okay, you know, and just allowing things to happen. It's what we call free flow. It's just you, you're allowing this practice session. Um, and if I don't know if you're ever familiar with the boat, a book uh, by a gentleman named Daniel Coyle. He wrote yes. a book called The Talent Code. Yes. Is that something to that to that effect where basically you're just kind of working like how does these small countries who practically have very little, you know, uh, you know, in terms of like amount of kids that play that sport, but yet they're able to produce a lot of these athletes. And it's because they, they, they chunk down the sport. They work on these basic elements first, slowly progresses a whole progression. Uh, again, fun, fostering the idea of play and free flow, uh, which then b lends to now, you have a talent pool that's pretty pretty deep. How about that? As opposed to, 
you know, uh, over here, maybe uh, you have a lot of kids that play a national pastime hockey, but how many kids fall through the crack because the system is not geared towards uh, developing skill, as far as I can see, uh, and not fostering the idea of play and uh, too much emphasis on game systems. Meanwhile, the kids have a hard time skating, uh, just handling the puck. And now you're talking about like, you know, defensive systems, offensive systems, you know, uh, it just, it just gets too much to the point where, okay, now you, you lost, you lost me at uh, putting my laces on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that, uh, and I'm not too sure if I'm right on this one, but through soccer, I, I'll use soccer as an example. If you take a look at what we here, do here in the States, it's almost pay to play. If you can't afford to you know, buy the fancy uniforms, have a fancy coach and all these other things, then uh, you don't get to play. Well, unless the child has the passion, I don't think that they're going to get any better. If you take a look at the children that are coming out in soccer, especially right now, the best ones, the best players are coming out of Africa. Okay, now, where do the, why do the Africans, why are they so good, even better than the Europeans? Is because they're working their way out of poverty. They don't have the equipment, and they find that through sports, that might be their only way to help their family. And if you watch them being interviewed, it's always, I'm doing this because my mom and dad need. Okay, so it's a matter of survival. It's not a matter of having fun and winning ball games and all these other things. They want to make sure that they're doing something that's going to help their family survive. And I think there's a huge difference between, you know, winning ball games here in the United States and winning ball games in Africa because here in the States you go to fancy tournaments and here in Africa they've got kids that are on dirt fields with uh, lucky to have goals or maybe even get soccer balls, and yet they become the best players. Playing with flip-flops. <laughs> or barefooted. Barefooted, too. I, I remember, I mean, I was brought up in, in, uh, in uh, South Africa, and, uh, you know, you'd see some of the kids play. We, I mean, we would find a crumpled-up piece of paper, and you'd you know, you just play with that. And if you didn't have a ball, you'd find, you'd find something to play with. You'd find a, you know, uh, and, but the idea here is that you foster and the games were like, they were pretty challenging because, you know, the, the playing with implements, like a, like a crumpled piece of, it doesn't bounce like a ball. It behaves differently. Mm -hmm. And so here's another, I'm just going to throw this out. I mean, do you ever play with like, Obviously, the size of the, the, uh, is the size of the equipment kind of tailored towards the kids, too? Like, you have a smaller soccer ball? How does that work? So, back in 1980, I decided that uh, six-year-olds don't belong on an adult field. And that came from watching a six-year-old in goal. The goal was eight feet high, eight yards wide. <laughs> and all the kids, if they did kick it, and they were able to kick it high or wide, this poor child didn't have a chance. So I wrote what we call the modified laws of the game back in 1980, which meant smaller fields, smaller equipment, less players. It took the U.S. Soccer Federation up until 2017 to mandate smaller field play. Okay, so it's only 37 years and we finally caught up. 
And now what do we do is we've got smaller fields, but now we still have bleachers, spectators, uh, uh, what do you call it, astroturf, you know, fancy uniforms and all that kind of stuff. And that's what the kids complain about their bags not being, you know, properly while the parents are carrying the soccer ball. You don't see that in Africa. And I don't mean to, you know, for us to go back into those situations, but I like for the child to be able to handle their own equipment, for example. You know, when they get out of the fancy air-conditioned car, at least have a ball bag and put the ball down and dribble it up to the field. Anyway, I know I'm getting a little bit carried away, but oh. I, just don't, I just don't like what we're doing, which is saying you have to have fancy equipment, you have to have fancy fields, you have to have all these things in order to build good soccer players, when all we need to do is find an environment that's safe and have the kids attack a goal and defend a goal. Let's play. If I could kind of add to that, I think you're working on a vertical. You're working on a vertical perspective versus most people working horizontally. Right. I'm not sure what it means, but if it makes if it follows what I'm trying to get across. No, it basically means that you're you're like a, you're on you're on the mountain and you're looking, you're seeing the whole lay of the land, whereas these people are still down at the village. And they can only see, you know. Uh, closest to them, but they can't see the other aspects of the village because they're not high enough and they haven't really experienced enough. Uh, and so they're, they're not coming back to people like yourselves, for example, who uh, have a tremendous amount of experience in this and, uh, you know, saying, hey, there, there's something you got to take, you got to take notice here. There's something for, and, and the success leaves clues that go, go to some of these countries, other countries, like you said, in Africa where kids are playing with smaller nets. They're not playing with full, and they're, 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 the fields are just naturally smaller. Uh, they're not playing with full pitches because, first of all, they don't have that sort of luxury sometimes to play with that because if somebody's going to be using a pitch, it could be also used for farmland. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody's cattle is grazing while you're playing soccer, too. It's, it's, it's always hilarious. It's, I, think, I think sometimes they even put, they paint the number on the cow. Just there to make sure that's the opposition, Cal. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm sure the kids do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so so after the scrimmage, so this now we're getting into the cool down, right? Right. The cool down, uh, you know, you're more of an expert in this field, but I think that they should do some kind of stretching, you know, get the lactic acid out of the muscles and all that kind of stuff. But to me, the cool down is most important because I want the coach to make sure that they go to every single child and give them a compliment. Because what we have a tendency to do is we focus on the ones that are really skilled and yes. they get all the compliments and the ones that are potentially future stars that might be behind physically, they don't get the compliments and they might quit. So I make sure I try to get the coaches to make sure to individually and privately give that child some kind of a compliment for being at practice and that they did improve and, and you know, the effort that they gave, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so after they done this, then basically you do like a recap. Then you get the team together and you end the practice. And what you do is you let them know what your theme was and how they did as a team. You don't give individual compliments unless you want individuals to give compliments. And a lot of coaches do this nowadays. 
where they have every child make a compliment to one of their other players, and every player has to make a compliment to another one. But it's a compliment, not a criticism. Okay, and then after that, what you do is you make sure you give them a homework assignment. And the parents need to know, especially in the younger age group, what the homework assignment is so that they follow up because you want the child to come back next practice. You're going to check their homework to see if they've made any improvement on the technique that you're trying to teach. Finally, and most, most important, especially here in the States, is make sure you get the kids to clean up the environment. Go through the whole park or wherever it is and clean everything up so that people say, you know, we need these soccer people out here so that we've got some decent places to play and we want them out here instead of, uh, you know, a lot of people leaving garbage out there and they go, we don't need people out here like this. You know, it's funny, uh, I, when I go to the track, I do this for myself, but I don't, I was thinking about employing this to some of the kids and now that you mention it, it might be a good idea because I, I, I just do this naturally. When I used to go work out at this one field, you know, some of the kids would leave water bottles and, you know, stuff on the ground. And I, my, at the end of the end of my own practice, I would go pick up as much as I could see within my, you know, eyesight, I would go pick up the garbage and put it back in the bin. And the only reason I did that is that it's kind of like a respect to where you work out. And it, I think there is something to that. When you keep respecting that place, it keeps giving back to you. So, you know, without getting too, you know, about, you know, religious connotations behind it, it's just an, an idea of respect of where you work out. Mm -hmm. And so you keep that place clean. That's a brilliant idea. That's a really good, uh, you know, so you're not only teaching these kids play, but there's some social um, sort of, uh, you know, community social benefit from this, which basically then fosters a better community in the end, right? Well, to me, it's teaching the kids a sense of responsibility. You know, they don't have any uh, chores at home anymore. And to me, let's make sure that once they are on our field, that they treat it like, uh, like it's special. Or maybe yeah. you can even teach them how to clean up their field and then eventually the parents can teach them how to clean up their room. <laughs> well, you got to work out some sort of practice where they're cleaning somebody's car with their feet, right? And it's like yeah. wax on, wax off. They have, you know, and this way they develop these foot muscles and leg muscles. And meanwhile, the parents are like loving it because they're getting, a, you know, cars getting waxed and polished. And there you go. <laughs> I think let's put a, let's put together some kind of a video for doing that and I'm 100% behind it. <laughs> that would be a good YouTube video and I'm sure that that would go viral. <laughs> put it so together. Carl, I'd be happy to promote it. Talk about promotion. I know that we're at the end here, but uh, make sure the people, if they have any questions, go to my website, three W's fundamentalsoccer.com. I'm always available. Okay, perfect. And, so, Carl, again, it's it was brilliant doing this. I really appreciate the time here. It was uh, it was a refresher for me. At the same time, I've learned a few things, and I think um, you know the readers out there, the listeners rather, uh, should definitely contact you. And if they if they're a soccer budding soccer coach or a, a soccer parent, you know what? For in, in 
truly really for any sport, personally, I think there are a lot of things that you've said here that, have, that transcend soccer, that just basically just make common sense to all sports. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, all sports in this day and age, uh, and maybe in this part of the world, seem to be lacking it a little bit. And I think in other parts of the world, maybe a little different through socioeconomic, et cetera, et cetera. But this part of the world, they need to kind of go back to see the qualitative elements as opposed to focusing so much on quantity and putting, you know, balls in the back of the net, all these kind of things are all good. But we need to develop a love for physical activity, period, not just yeah. for soccer, but for physical activity, lifelong playing. That's what we need to do. And that takes care of our eliminates some of our health, uh, health issues because we're not dealing with uh, some of the chronic diseases, maybe but we're maybe dealing with ankle sprains and hamstring tears, et cetera, et cetera, which is probably a better thing, I think, than putting somebody on, uh, you know, on, on medication and stuff like that. So, again, if you want to add anything more, but that, that was like, wow, I was, I was uh, thoroughly <laughs> focused. <laughs> I'm sure, Yosef, I'm sure you can cut this out, but uh, yeah, get that uh, car washing uh, done. And uh, let's put it on YouTube. We'll see what happens with that. System.ca podcast disclaimer. We're not here to tell you that we know everything. Just We're just here to present possibilities. The information presented is by no way intended as medical advice or as a substitute for medical counseling. The information should be used in conjunction with the guidance and care of your physician. Consult your physician before bringing... Beginning this program, as you would with any, any, any other exercise physician program. If you choose not to obtain consent of your physician and or work with your physician throughout the duration of your time using the recommendation given, you are agreeing to the, accept full responsibility for your actions. By continuing, you recognize that despite all precautions on the part of the system, the art and science of coaching, there are risks or of injuries or illness which can occur because of your use of the aforementioned information. And you especially assume risks can waive, relinquish, and release any claim which you have against the system, the art and science of coaching, or any of its affiliates as a result of any future physical or illness incurred in connection with or as a result of the use or misuse of this information given. All rights reserved, no part of this publication may be reproduced, distributed, or transmitted in any form or by any means, including photocopy, recording, or any other electronic or mechanical methods, without the prior written permission of the system, the art and science of coaching, except in the case of brief quotations of body and critical reviews and certain other non-commercial uses permitted by copyright law. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the content, please hit the subscribe button. Check out the system.ca for more information on services and more content like this and also products. Take care.